We're in the book of John. And the only one that follows me through my books is Gil. And sometimes he can tell, tell me what I'm going to preach next. Thank you. In the book of John, we've got a lady who has a fascinating history. I want you to see this lady with me. I want you to enjoy this lady. She's sassy. She's salty. She's been around. And Jesus treats her like the Queen of Sheba or even something greater. I'm looking for... In the fourth chapter, and starting with the fourth verse, it says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noontime, the sixth hour. This story has a few prejudicial points to it. By that I mean we can taste prejudice in the relationship of Jesus and the Samaritan woman in their conversation. The first point of prejudice is the ninth verse. Why you being a Jew, why you being a Jew, ask me for a drink? Now, you know we don't get along. Matter of fact, not only that, do we not get along, uh, we hate each other. That's clear, right? We hate each other. And so, this is their opening statements. This is how they get to know each other. And I said it's prejudicial simply because... Somewhere in our hearts, we have the ability to carry a lot of prejudice. There are light people that don't like dark people, and there are dark people that don't like light people. There are different language-speaking people that don't like other language-speaking people. There are talented people that are bothered by untalented people. And there are untalented people that are very jealous of talented people. Isn't it strange? A personality touched by sin is a swift pain in the neck. It is. Because there are so many times and so many moments that we can find no reason to be as ugly as we possibly can be. So here we see a situation that involves prejudice. But that's why I read to you the fourth verse. And what does the fourth verse say? And it says it clearly. And he must need go through Samaria. It sounds like, hey, it's just the route. It's just the way he's walking. It's just the path. If you go from Judea and you're going to Galilee, well, you've got to go through Samaria because that's the patch in the middle. Some of the old Jews, filled with their own prejudice, had a, 
had made a road in the valley of Sharon, uh, almost toward the Dead Sea, so they would, uh, not the Dead Sea, the Mediterranean, so they would not even travel near uh, the land of Samaria. And, and you say, well, well what, what, what's, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us the same? We are filled, once again, with prejudices. And I think each time I take time to share the word with you, I let you know that human nature hasn't changed. Our clothes have changed. Our language may have changed. Our geography may be a little different. But what makes us click, what's inside of us, it's the same. We all have these nuggets of nastiness. We all have these nuggets of prejudice. And we have some beautiful nuggets, too. We have some precious uh, uh, abilities and gifts and talents. But it's so sad to be able to tell you that, uh, hey, we're heavy duty when it comes to prejudice. And this is why we need the Lord. Now, the scripture says it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. It was very necessary. And why was it necessary? Simply because God had a plan. You know, we've often said to you, and it sounds like a cliche, but it isn't really a cliche. Listen to me carefully. With God, uh, what's the word we use? We use it often. Uh, we think something is a coincidence. Oh, it just happened. With God, there are no coincidences. God has a direct plan. God has a reason. And if we would understand that, we'd be a little bit more comfortable as to the situations we get into. You, you kind of feel you got there on your own. You kind of feel somebody pushed you. You kind of feel uh, uh, this is a workings or of, uh, of somebody else or, or of, of your weakness. No, sometimes we have to say, and we have to say it uh, with a great deal of, of uh, what can we say? with a great deal of confidence that as it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria, there will be many routes where it's necessary for us to go, whether they be negative routes, whether they be positive routes. And routes, I'm, I'm talking about R-O-U-T-E. In other words, ways, uh, in other words, highways in which we will go through. Now, with what happens in this way, with what happens with this woman, you then have to know it wasn't a coincidence. This is exactly what God wanted to do and how he wanted to do. Let me give you another point of prejudice. Uh, Jesus asks for water. Uh, the woman is quick to tell him, well, first of all, you're a Jew and, and I'm just not going to give it to you. That, that, that's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. I, I hate you that much. Our people don't speak, so don't ask for any favors. You're not going to abuse me. And I love that moment because Jesus says to her, and he says to her very clearly, uh, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me, and I would give you, listen, I would give you living water. Now that's an interesting situation. If you knew who I was and who it is that asks you, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. Now the woman's taken up. She's taken up by this. 
And I like her first question because it's an insinuation once again of who do you think you are? Samaritan woman, if she lived in New York, she'd live in the Bronx. (laughs) And she simply says, and says it very clearly, uh, do you think, and this is interesting, folks, do you think you're greater than Jacob that gave us this well? Now, that's sass, okay? Do you think you're greater? We come here every day. The well is very deep. We tie our, our, our pitchers and we tie, tie our, our buckets and we wait here. And we go through this simple situation every single day. Now you come along and you say that you're going to give me uh, living water. You, you don't even have a bucket. You don't have a rope. You're asking me for a glass of water, uh, a drink of water. And, and here you stand uh, like almighty. Just saying you're going to give me something greater than what's here. I want you to notice something, folks, and I want you to notice it very carefully. Are you greater than Jacob? If you go through the Gospels, Jesus says, I'm greater than Abraham. And Jesus says, I'm greater than the Queen of Sheba. And Jesus says, I'm greater, yes, than Solomon and all those that went to visit him, including the Queen. And I'm greater, and he makes it a point to let people know he's greater. Now here she says, are you greater than Jacob? And he doesn't answer. He doesn't answer. You know why? No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just simply stating this. He says he's not greater. Why? Because it's too premature in their conversation to make a declaration that would totally close her up. A declaration that would simply say, you're crazy, I'm not listening to you. Why? Because was there anybody greater than Abraham? Was there anybody greater than Isaac? Was there anybody greater than Jacob? These are the patriarchs. These are the men, the founders uh, 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 of the Jewish family, of the Jewish uh, 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 system. Now, are you greater? No. What what she, She wasn't waiting for an answer. She was simply telling him, he's not. You think you're greater than Jacob? In other words, I know you're not greater than Jacob. I know that. Folks, always be careful. Be careful never to defend God by the name of a church, by the name of a pastor, by the name of some activities that you do, by the name of the way you feel about your particular group. Don't don't offend God. Because you see, the most important thing in the world is not that you're a Catholic, not that you're a Protestant, not that you go to crossroads, uh, not that you uh, uh, listen to Pastor Amy or, or Cardinal O'Connor, which, uh, whichever one it is. That, that's, that's, that's not the point. That's not the important situation. But we would do that. And because we do that, we're losing so much. I think Brother Mesa spoke to you the other day, and he mentioned something. We were going down, uh, riding down through New York City, and we heard a loudspeaker, and the loudspeaker simply said, uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
and he that walks in me uh, will not walk in darkness. Then the speaker went on to say, the world is full of darkness, and the people are full of acts of darkness, and the only thing we see is darkness, so Jesus has failed. Christianity has failed. And I just, uh, you know, I sat there for a minute, and I thought to myself, maybe Christianity that's represented in cathedrals and churches Maybe Christianity that's represented in dogmas and represented in disciplines and represented in all kinds of uh, uh, religious maneuvers. Maybe that is, maybe that is the part that it might not be shining as it should. But you know, folks, to say say what Jesus said failed because Christians are in darkness is a horror show. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. The one we serve is light. He said, I am the light of the world. And he that walks in me will not stumble in darkness. If we stumble in darkness, it's because we're not under his full light. But then again, hold steady. Because that's the point I want to bring out with this Samaritan woman. The point I want to bring out with the Samaritan is this same issue. People see the church. People see uh, the, the makings of church. P- people see the failures of churches and, and church leaders and religious leaders. Uh, and people see the disgraces that have hit the front pages uh, of newspapers. Uh, and through all of that, they pick it up and judge and say, well, this is the way Christianity is. Oh, listen, Christianity is full of a lot of people that don't even know what Christianity means. The churches are packed with people that have never had an experience with Jesus Christ. There are a million people out there claiming to be Christians and have never been born again. Do not walk in the Spirit of God. Do not live in the Word of God. And so you can't judge the hierarchy. You can't judge the buildings. You can't judge what you see. And I say this to you. Are you greater than Jacob? Jesus doesn't answer. Because if he says yes, and he could say yes. It would have been the truth. But she wasn't ready for it. She wasn't ready for it. So he simply states, if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink the water I give you, you will never thirst again. Now this is a declaration that's awesome. Very much so. If you drink the water that I give you, you will not thirst again. Now, as we go on with the conversation in this woman, you'll find out that he says even more awesome things to her. He teaches her the secret of God. God is spirit. He teaches this woman the great secret of who he is and who Messiah is. That's unbelievable, okay? But you see, the minute their conversation moves into a realm of uh, religiosity. Isn't it amazing how everybody's religious? Isn't it amazing? Have you ever gone someplace and everybody's talking about what they are and all of a sudden you say, well, I am, because it's so important for us to make the declaration of what we are and what we believe uh, and where we go, because that seems to be the most important thing in us. Well, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. He simply says, I'll give you water and you'll never, you'll never, never thirst again. The woman 
is caught up and face to face with truth, the embodiment of truth, the God of truth. So she gets, she gets very, very desirous of what he's got to give. I'm not sure, but it sounds like truth. I don't know how you get it, but I'm going to ask for it. He's offering me something I don't fully understand, but I want it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that's where she says, I'll take it. And that's where he says, get your husband. And that's where she says, I don't have one. And that's where he says, you're right. You've had five, and the one you have now, you're not married to. Shoo! Caught. He knew more about her than the whole town. Because she managed to keep her private life quite hidden. Or maybe move from town to town, who knows? But the only one that knew the true count was her. Because even the man she was living with didn't know the true count. And then she looks over and she's tugged. And this is the beauty of being tugged, folks. This is the beauty of being tugged. The only people that can be tugged by God, the only people that can be moved by God, the only people that can be touched by God are people that have hunger for God. I don't care how sassy they are. I don't care how nasty they are. I don't care how out of order they are. But the fact that they are open proves to us that they're hungry. Have you ever met somebody really neat, lousy as can be? Two words don't go together, right? But I mean it. I mean it. I, I've met people that kind of have it together, but they're, they're sassy and they're, uh, and they're brazen and, they, and they're outspoken and, and they, they can really get you. Yet, when you get to the crossroads, they snap. They look up. They're interested. They're hungry. Hey, that's a person that wants to know about God. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a book by its cover. Listen, I had, a, I had a wild time here Friday night. We had youth night. And these uh, absolutely milk-white ministers of the gospel from Toronto, Canada were ministering. And you know how our kids walk in? You know, they don't even walk. They just, uh, you know, they have sort of a... One has a lollipop in her mouth. Another one has his hat this way. Another one turns it that way. And I don't know where everybody picked up a couple. But they came in by twos and twos like Noah's Ark. And there they sat as close as they could sit. Then these two precious people start to sing and talk. And they talk like Canada. Yeah. And so sweet. And they sang their first two hymns. And I'm looking at these kids. <laughs> you know what I'm ready to do, don't you? Have a bazooka and blow them away. I walked around and all of a sudden I realized, I said, Lord, oh please, Lord, help me. Help me, please help me. And then I realized 
that I don't have to fight for those two young people. They're called of God. And they're used to all the sassiness in the world. When his, his language proved it to me. And, and he said a few things that I went, ooh. But boy, he, he connected. He connected. And let me share this with you. I went to the back. And I said, Lord, I don't care what they do. I don't care what they do. I'm just going to sit in this corner. And your Holy Ghost is going to have to do whatever he has to do. When I got through with my prejudices... When I got through with looking at our young people and saying they were a human disaster. When I got through making a conclusion that this is a fiasco. I will pay these people. May they go home well. <laughs> because there's nothing else to do. But I just sat back with my eyes closed. Said, Lord, it's in your hands. The service ended with 22 young people at this altar. 17 of them crying. And the ones that behaved the worst were just melted before the Lord. When it was over, one said to another, I didn't know it was like this. I didn't know what this was all about. I didn't. And I looked into their faces, so tender, so warm, so beautiful. So you see, folks, we can start off with a lot of prejudices. We can start off with a lot of you know, why? Because there's something about us that we want everybody to do things like we do them. Do you understand? We want kids to sit up straight. You're right? Take your hat off when you come into church. Somebody says, should I take their hats off? I counted. There were 17 hats. Don't you dare. <laughs> we'll probably lose them all. Forget it. No, no, no. Let, let her. And what are we going to do? But look how it ended up. And they want to come back. And Joe collected all the cards from all the new kids, and they filled them out and gave us all the information. I tell you this, folks. You'll meet people that seemed like maybe the impossible situation. But the beautiful thing about it is the one that's working here is the Holy Spirit. It's not you. It's not me. It's not how good we minister. It's not how sharp we are. It's not how we present things. When I saw these two young people, my heart just, I mean, my heart just, and when it ended, and he was very careful to not manipulate the group with it, when it ended, when their hearts were already broken, when they were just crying, he looked over at them, and he said, my father left me when I was one year old. I never saw his face. My second father was an alcoholic, and all he did was beat me. He says, I've got a third father. He says, and, and my mother was just a, my second father made her an alcoholic because that's the only way she could live with him. And he just stood there. He says, but you know, along came Jesus and made all the difference in the world. And the kids were already broken. You understand what I'm saying? And I, I, I just saw such wisdom. I saw such beauty. I saw such power. Why? Because this Samaritan woman looks at Jesus and she says, you're a prophet. I know you're a prophet. Nobody knows anything about me. And you've said it all. So you're a prophet. And immediately she got on her prophet outfit. We, we have prophet outfits, you know that? She immediately got on her prophet outfit. And she says, well, now just a moment, just a moment. You Jews think you're high and mighty. We all used to worship together here on Mount Gerizim. We were all together. That's what God wanted. 
churches and then you decided to move to Jerusalem. So you're in Jerusalem, we're in Jerusalem. Hey. And then Jesus looks at her and he says, hey, wait a minute. We're not talking about that. It's neither here nor there. It's not where but how. And then Jesus started to share with her the core of worship. The core of worship. What is worship? Do we get it out of the missal, the book? Do we get it out of the prayer book? Do we get it out of the hymn book? Does it come out of even the Bible? Is that where it comes out of? No. Jesus made one declaration. The only way to worship is in spirit and in truth. The only way. Not only is it the only way, it's the only acceptable way. Why? And then he gave the answer. Because God is spirit. In other words, how can you communicate with someone unless you're in his state? Now that's interesting. And you say, well, how do we get in his state? Well, he blew his life into you. Man is given a portion of the spirit of God. In our creation, we have the capacity to commune with God. We've been overtaken by sin. We've been overtaken by Satan. We've been overtaken by the flesh. So our communication sometimes is a little faulty. Or we do better at other communications than at divine communication. You may know a lot of history. You may communicate a lot of history. You may know a lot of something else. But listen, the most important thing is that your worship. And that's what Jesus said. He desires that we worship in spirit and in truth. Why? Because God is spirit. How do we learn? Is there a way to learn? What Cheryl does here, when her arms go out and her tears flow and she's worshiping, what, 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 what is that? Is it for you to imitate? Because then we'd all have to stand here like Cheryl. Just like this and I, no, no. You see, she is worshiping. And you worship as the Spirit gives you to worship. And you will worship in your own unique way. So don't ever feel you have to worship like us. Worship as the Spirit gives you to worship. You say, oh, Sister Amy, the only thing I can say right, right in here, I just say, oh, God, I love you, hallelujah, hallelujah, but I don't let anybody hear it. That's okay. He hears it. And he accepts it as worship. And while we're making our noise... You're making your noise in silence because the God that hears us is the God that hears the volume of voices and the cry of the heart. And the heart goes up as loud as voices and maybe louder. So you need not fear, just worship in spirit and in truth. And it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us. That's the uniqueness of church. Imagine if every, I went to a church once and they scared me to death because the pastor said, church, we worship now. And everybody got up like an army. Whoa! And then the pastor says, church, be seated. I said, if this happens again, I'm going to be scared out of my wits. And sure enough, 10 minutes later, church, like a call to arms, like the bugle, you know, of uh, Gunga Din on the top of the... I go, do, 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 do. Ah! And I thought to myself, this is worship. And then the pastor got up very proud. 
since we've learned corporate worship. Corporate worship? IBM? <laughs> I mean, I, I got frightened. And this is all across America. But listen, worship will be corporate because each one of you are worshiping. But you're worshiping in your own way. You're worshiping in your own mentality. You're worshiping in your own flow. You're worshiping because you love God. And the way your nature permits you to do it, you do it. No other way. Don't imitate us. You'll get tired. You'll get weary. And if you follow an old Pentecostal like me, you'll fall asleep. I really mean that. We were taught. You don't have to. You don't have to. The Holy Spirit will teach you. <coughs> and the beauty of the church, the beauty of the church is when everybody is worshiping in their own way. When the eyes close and everyone connects. If, if I had the ability to put into film or vision, you know, go to Hollywood and speak to someone like Spielberg or one of those Lucas guys. Just the thought, what is prayer? I think, I, I think it would be like red wires that rise out of, uh, out of our bodies and connect. I, I could almost see the angels uh, working in the connection boards, uh, okay? And then all the boards are set and the relays are taken uh, and then to the great, great throne that's open for all of us. I said, wow. Crazy, no? Well, a young lady died and went to heaven. One of those experiences. And she says that as she walked to heaven, there were spurts all over the place, like little beams, like laser beams. And the angel that was carrying her through, walking through with her, he says, don't worry, they won't hurt you. They're going to the throne room. She says, what's going? She says, they're going. Those beams you see, they're the prayers of God's people. They rise all day and all night. They're always going to the throne. Nothing is stopped here in heaven. Nothing holds it back. They go straight to the throne room. And she looked and she watched for a while. And she said when she came back to life and started to move, the only message she had for God's people was pray. Every prayer gets through. Every prayer is a beam. Every prayer touches the throne room. So, hey. That's what we call being taught by the Holy Spirit to worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus then makes a certain establishment which is important that we all understand. She has said, in this mountain, Jerusalem, we. In Jerusalem, you. And Jesus makes a very clear statement and he establishes that the salvation is of the Jews. In other words, that's the plan God has given it. That's the, the via, that's the highway. So little lady, it's not as people want things to be. It's not shooting it this way or shooting it that way. It's the way God wants it to be. And the way God wants it to be is that salvation is of the Jews and that's established. Now the Samaritan woman's befuddled, do you hear me? This is too much to handle. This man knows his stuff. He's touched me. I'm terribly confused. I feel hurt. I don't know what to do with my hurt. I, I, I feel mixed up and confused. I think I'm gonna just take my jar and run. 
I, I don't want to stay here. I, I can't answer him. I have no more fight. My religion seems useless. What I've done all my life, he doesn't seem to, it, it's not important to him. I'm getting out of here. But before I do, I'm going to tell him exactly how I feel. And she takes just one minute and she looks at him. And she says, sir, I know Messiah cometh. Do you know what that's called? She's holding an ace. She's holding the ace. I know Messiah cometh. He is the Christ. Now this, this I know. This isn't confused in my mind. This isn't juggled. You confuse me. All of this confuses me. That I can't argue with a human being. That I can't really filter this out. But I know Messiah cometh. He is the Christ. And you know what, sir? He will tell me all things. Isn't that marvelous? Do you know where she arrived? She arrived at the crux and at the heart of her soul, her spirit, and her will. That's where she arrived. I may be mixed up. I may have had five husbands, and the one I have isn't mine. I may not be sure of a lot of things. Got my geography right, got my history right. So all in all, I'm not too wrong, but the only one that will put me right is Messiah, for he holds the secret of life and death. He holds the secret of redemption and salvation. And when he comes, I like what she said, he will tell all things. That's the one that knows it all. Then Jesus looks at her and says, I am Messiah. Look at your Bible. Won't you please look at your Bible? There isn't another conversation. There isn't another word uttered. Nothing. 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 You'd almost think that somebody would say, Oh, you're Messiah. Oh, glory. Boo. Fall at his feet. Kiss his feet. Hug him. Tug at him. Uh, oh, oh, oh. No, 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 no. I am the Messiah. At this moment, the disciples are arriving and they share with us the last prejudice on my list. And what's the last prejudice on my list? They were surprised that he was talking to a woman. Ah, you men. <laughs> Jesus will teach you. Jesus will teach you. Do you realize that this woman got the greatest lesson in the world? You know what he said to Nicodemus? You've got to be born again. He was the most religious man in the whole town. You know what he said to the Samaritan woman? God is spirit. That's the highest theology in the whole world. You know what he said to Nicodemus? You've got to be born of the spirit and of the word. Of the word and of the water and of the spirit. You know what he says to the woman? I am Messiah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What does that say to us? It does not matter the state you're in. It does not matter the confusion you're in. It does not matter what you're living or how you're living. It does not matter how much religion you know and how little you know. 
if Christ finds in you hunger, he will then gently and without prejudice reach out to you. And he will show you what the truth is. For Jesus said, I am the way, I am the life and the truth, and no man cometh unto the Father but through me. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. That's the order. And if you're hungry, he'll do like the Samaritan woman. He'll get real close and he'll say, I am Messiah. Whatever you need, I will give you. The Bible says she went down into her town, ran from one end of the town to the other. People came up to meet him and fell in love with him. He worked many miracles. They begged him to stay and he did. And for two to three days, Jesus worked miracles in Samaria. Now do you understand why when he was coming through again? Do you understand when he was coming through again? They said, stay a few days with us. If it's the same as you stayed before, this town will be filled with your presence and your glory. You healed the sick, you cast out demons, you worked miracles, you transformed the Samaritan's woman's life, and she's still proclaiming your truth. And Jesus said he couldn't stay. And so the motel keeper said, well, I won't give you a room because I'll give you room only if you stay. I'm kind of feeling that he wanted so much for Jesus to stay. The disciples came back and said, Lord, if you want, we can send for fire from heaven so that it will the motel up so they'll know that whoever doesn't give us a room will really be chucked out. And Jesus looked at them and said something so sweet. Vosotros no sabéis de qué espíritu sois. You don't even know of what spirit ye are. And better yet, you don't know my spirit. In other words, you don't know why they've acted this way. Maybe he knew why. He knew why. They longed for him. But his time was set. And his face like an arrow to Jerusalem. For it was time for Calvary.